Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Lucy Dunn and Isabel Hardman. Now, I think the big story in Westminster this week, which of course is still in recess until Monday, is the news of a rather surprising defection from the SNP to the Tories. It's the first time uh, an MP has ever crossed the floor in that particular direction. Uh, Lucy Dunn, tell us all about this. Yeah, so Lisa Cameron uh, was the SNP MP for East Kilbride. She has defected, quite surprisingly, to the Conservative Party after accusing the SNP of toxic bullying treatment towards her. So Lisa Cameron was facing deselection anyway after the candidate Grant Costello was backed by um, her seat by MSPs in the party. She has put up a bit of a fight about this in, in recent weeks and today has decided that she is no longer going to be part of the SNP. She's joined the Conservatives um, in quite a surprising move, citing the disgraced MP Patrick Grady as being involved in her decision to step down. And she has um, been criticised by people in her party for having quite socially conservative views in the past on abortion and the gender bill. So it maybe isn't an entirely unsurprising move. Yes, and I think, of course, that was what was so notable about this, uh, Isabel, is that really, you know, she could have defected, you know, just become an independent, lose the whip, etc. But I suppose what was sort of slightly telling was, was crossing the floor um, and going to from being a nationalist party to, to a unionist one on the grounds of personal conduct. Do you think perhaps there's a sign that this is the, the SNP civil war, which we talked about, the kind of tensions in Westminster playing out, and it's going to affect others within the party as well? Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's not just a defection to a pro-union party. I'd say on current, on the performance of the past few years, it's the most anti-independence party you could defect to because Labour has had its sort of um, blurry moments on independence, I think it's fair to say, whereas yes. the Conservatives ha- have been very clear about their position all along. And it's also, I mean, a, a point that's been made to me by a, a couple of folk in the SNP is that it's an odd party to defect to over standards. But uh, the counterpoint I've made is... I mean, the counterpoint I've made is so is Labour. Um, So perhaps she just felt it was a bit of a Hobson's choice. But um, look, I mean, the conversations I have with with SNP MPs over the past few months have made very clear to me that it is not a happy party on so many different fronts. So gender is one of them. I was recently really surprised to find out that actually Joanna Cherry is is not the only gender critical SNP MP who goes along to Anne Jenkin, uh, a Conservative peer, um, Anne Jenkins cross party briefings that she holds regularly on gender issues. There, there are others who go along too who are uncomfortable with the way in which their party leadership has pursued the gender reforms. Joanna mm. Cherry is obviously the one who's who's taken all, all of the heat on that and has been in a very unhappy place with her party uh, for a long time. There's also real disquiet over Hamza Yousaf's position on, on independence negotiations. And obviously we're you know about to head into the crowning glory of the conference season, which is the SNP conference, uh, where I think there is less debate at an SNP conference than there is at other conferences to a certain extent because they have for so many years basically shut up for Indy. But this time there is going to be a a big debate about whether his strategy on independence and the general election is actually going to put voters off and whether that was one of the key factors in the party 
not being able to win in Rutherglen in the by-election there. And actually, I went to that seat during the 2014 referendum. I then went back the following year to profile it again when its Labour MP Tom Greatrex uh, was uh, about to lose his seat to Margaret Ferrier. And it was very, very clear in that seat that what was appealing to those voters were these massive billboards with Nicola Sturgeon's face on saying a stronger voice for Scotland, not vote for us and we'll take you out of the UK. So that's what a lot of SNP folk have, have concluded, is that actually Scottish voters at the moment are much more interested in the stronger voice bit rather than the indie bit. Uh, so there's going to be a big fight over that. Now, Hamza Yousaf today has been able to undermine uh, Lisa Cameron's defection by saying, well, look, you know, it shows that she never really believed in independence. And it is odd because, you know, she said as part of her defection, as well as saying that Rishi Sunak was the only one who reached out to her uh, when she suffered a deterioration in her mental well-being and was getting counselling and being put on antidepressants. Stephen Flynn or the Holyrood leadership didn't reach out to her either. She also said that she was going to work for policies that benefited the whole of the UK, which is, I mean, obviously, if you join the Conservatives, it's a repudiation of, of independence anyway. But that underlines that this is something that she appears to have, at least for now, changed her mind on. Yes, I really enjoyed Rishi Sunak's response to her statement today, which said that uh, this shows that uh, people are joining the Conservative Party who want to campaign for the long-term decisions for the betterment of the UK, even though they were elected on a prospectus four years ago of breaking that up. Yeah, Lucy, how does this really set up the SNP ahead of its uh, conference, which starts this Sunday? And what's really been the reaction in terms of what you've been picking up in Westminster and Holyrood from it? Yeah, so I think the SNP has, uh, don't think it's really been in a sort of death spiral like this for quite a number of years. Um, the, the the problem with this defection is that the Tories can now highlight how independence as a plan is sort of so far gone down the drain that even it's the SNP's own MPs um, don't have confidence in the party. Um, and, and independence has been for the SNP this real driving force. The process um, has been muzzled recently. You know, I think um, Nicola Sturgeon, when she was First Minister, had wanted to have IndyRef too around about this time. And that's obviously not going to happen. And I think a lot of SNP voters just cannot see how another independence referendum could come about. On the other hand, Labour can now use this to say that voting for the SNP is as good as voting Tory. I can imagine the Labour attack ads on this will be quite interesting in Scotland. And and I think that the SNP now will really struggle to use the attack lines of you know red Tories because. Um, that one of their own has has defected, and I think you know ahead of conference, there's already a low mood given the Rutherglen by-election results, and the SNP don't aren't getting on with one another. They don't feel that Hamza Yusuf has has got the personality that Nicola Sturgeon did, um, and even today in the Mail, Kate Forbes has warned that the party needs an in-depth MOT. Has said it will lose voters' confidence if it remains divided, and I think unfortunately we'll see this division continue to get worse. And I think what will be very interesting is to see which SPs and MPs turn up to conference. I've heard that um, a number of uh, Salmond's allies are planning on boycotting the SNP conference this weekend. So I think it's definitely going to be uh, an interesting and probably quite a sombre mood at um, in Aberdeen. And of course, that's one big SNP story that's dominated today. And the other is a much more tragic one in relation to what's happening in Israel and Gaza and the sad story of what's happening to Humza Yusuf's in-laws who are trapped there right now and his wife is reported to be distraught at what's happening. Isabel, talk us through this story. Yeah, so the, I mean, this is really, really distressing for the First Minister and his wife. Uh, Hamza Yousaf was uh, due to be giving 
uh, an interview, the pre-conference round of interviews that, that all party leaders do. And he had just started giving this interview at Butte House and his wife, Nadia, enters the room sobbing, saying that she can't contact her family. She can't get through to her family. And they are just outside Gaza at, at the moment. Um, they were visiting relatives. Her parents were visiting relatives and uh, they've been trying to get in touch with them. They had got in touch with them and then couldn't get in touch with them again. And at one point she was watching television and saw the neighbourhood where her parents were staying being hit. Uh, so she was she was in great distress. Now, she, she's had a message since from her mother saying that their neighbourhood is being hit. They haven't been hit yet. Um, and then he said something quite quite striking I think which was the Israeli government know where our family is they know the coordinates to that extent so my hope is that they won't be hit so it's you know obviously a a hugely personally distressing situation for the first minister's family and more widely the situation in Gaza which is you know terrifying for its inhabitants as as Israel tries to hit Hamas targets is something that politicians are all being asked about whether Israel can stay within international law as it tries to hit these Hamas targets rather than targeting civilians, for instance, and whether the cutting off the power and so on, when the power station ran out of fuel last night, when the hospital was running low on fuel fuel as well, whether that could be justified. And so the, the line of the British government so far has been that Israel should do whatever she can to defend herself within international law. But there is a obviously a great deal of anxiety about about how that can be implemented. Uh, and Lucy, finally, you know, in Westminster, I think the response has been pretty unified about what's been happening in Israel. On Monday, the Palace of Westminster was lit up in the colours of the Israeli flag. How much of that is kind of been played out in Scotland as well because I know there was obviously a big row about what's happened in Holyrood where the presiding officer declined to fly the Israeli flag there. I mean, how much is there a divergence on this issue between opinion in Westminster and opinion in Holyrood? Yeah, so I think we did see at the start of the week a Green MSP Maggie Chapman came under fire for comments that she made on Twitter um, and she talked about an apartheid state and she she didn't uh, judge the the mood she wasn't particularly compassionate in the remarks that she made and she definitely um, has has apologized for that now but it did take her quite a while to do so and I think that there's a real unease in Scotland just now about the the, the polarization of the debate up up there and I think you know we, we saw Hamza Youssef as well criticized at first for not condemning Hamas which you know has done and clearly as, as Isabel has laid out there were personal circumstances that played a role in his delay there but I think certainly the the we've seen Palestinian um, protests in Glasgow and the dialogue north of the border has definitely not been quite as unified as we've seen down in Westminster. Thank you Lucy, thank you Isabel and thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.